All right, time for the kids to come on up front. Make your way up, guys. Find somewhere to sit. Hey, everybody. Keep coming on over here, guys, so you can see. All right. So we have been preaching through the book of Acts. We've been learning how God has, had worked in the early church through the apostles. Uh, if you remember, Jesus told the apostles that they would be his witnesses all around the world. Right? They were to represent him and tell others about him all around the world. So they were preaching the gospel, and God was saving lots of people from their sin. Right? He was bringing them to a relationship with himself. But if you remember, the Jewish leaders didn't like this at all, did they? They were actually pretty upset about it. They were jealous about it. They didn't like that it was happening. But the apostles said that they had to obey God, right, rather than men. And so they continued preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus, right? But since the leaders didn't like the church preaching the gospel of Jesus, they wouldn't, and, the, the, and that the apostles wouldn't stop preaching, the leaders started treating the church and Christians really poorly, right? We call that persecution. They started persecuting them, treating them really poorly. And so because of that, many people in the church started spreading out, and they spread out all over the world, all over in different locations. So they weren't just together in the city of Jerusalem anymore. They spread out all over. And guess what they did when they spread out all over the world? They kept preaching the gospel. And so the gospel spread all around the world. So today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to read about a man named Philip. Philip was one of those who left Jerusalem because of the bad treatment they were, that was coming to them. And he traveled many places preaching the gospel, and he saw God save many, many people through the preaching of the gospel. And so today in chapter 8, we're also going to read about two specific individuals that Philip preached, to, preached the gospel to, who heard him preach. And so but the first was a man named Simon. Who wants to represent Simon for us? All right, Nolan, why don't you stand right here? You're going to represent Simon. Okay, just stand up right here next to me. That's all you have to do for right now, okay? So you're going to be, represent Simon, okay? And then the second person was a man whose name isn't given to us in the Bible, but we're told that he is an official in the queen, for the queen of Ethiopia. So we need a, an official. Okay, come on up. You can stand right here, Eliza. Ethiopia. It's a country. So he's an official for the queen of Ethiopia. That's all the volunteers we need. Thanks. So now what's interesting about this, so, so Philip preaches the gospel to lots of people, but these two individuals also hear the gospel. And so these two uh, picture for us, they represent how uh, different ways you could, you could respond to the preaching of the gospel. All right? And the two ways that can be responded are pictured for us in these two people, Simon and the queen's official, all right? So Simon, the first man, he appeared to believe in Jesus at first, but then there was more evidence that showed that he was only interested in Jesus for selfish gain. His heart wasn't right. He wasn't truly trusting in Jesus to save him. And so this man, Simon, responded to the gospel in whoop, unbelief. So you can hold that. Unbelief, Yeah. He wasn't really trusting in Jesus to save him, right? So the second person, the official in the queen's court, had great joy 
it was a man, even though we have a, a girl, right? But he, this, the, she's representing, this man had great joy in hearing the gospel. And he trusted in who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. He put all of his faith and trust in Jesus. And so this person responded to the gospel in belief, in fully trusting in God. And he was saved through Christ, through faith. So there's two responses for us in the gospel, and they're shown by these two men. One way to respond to the gospel is in unbelief, not putting your trust in Christ. The other way to respond to the preaching of the gospel is in belief, trusting in Christ to save from sin and to give eternal life. And so only true belief and faith in Jesus is what saves, right? Only true belief and faith in Christ is what brings about salvation. So, kids, how about for each one of you? Adults, how about for each one of you? You've heard the gospel preached if you've been in church, right? Yeah, how about all of you, right? You've heard the gospel preached, and all of you kids have heard the gospel. How will you respond? Will you respond in unbelief, not really trusting in Christ? Boo. Or will you respond in belief, really putting all of your faith and all of your trust and all of your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? Thumbs up on this side, right? So Acts chapter 16, 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So we want to have great belief and trust in Christ. All right, thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. All right. One of the things that being the pastor is a privilege to do is making decisions, and I hereby anoint Nolan perpetual volunteer for all things children's message. Yeah. All right. Uh, I thought about doing this afterwards, and I thought maybe you're aware that you lost your keys and you're fretting. So Toyota keys, little footprint thing. Um, I don't know, Walgreens, Triggs. Okay, good. I got them. You're welcome. We are in Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 4 to 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 40. So Pastor Jeff introduced you to two of the uh, folks in this passage, Simon and then the Ethiopian court official. We also meet Philip. We met him earlier uh, in chapter 6 when we had the issue with some of the uh, Greek-speaking Hebrews' widows being neglected, and they appointed seven deacons, and Philip was one of them, and we'll see him throughout chapter 8. Philip is noted as a man full of the Spirit who preaches the gospel first in Samaria and then to this Ethiopian court official. And I was thinking, Christians like to name their kids off after biblical people. I think this would be a great name to name your son, Philip. Philip is a godly man. He's a good man. The main reality we see here in Acts chapter 8, in verse 4, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's what, it, that's what all of Acts is about. Uh, but it's even more specifically, how does the gospel, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, first the gospel should preach in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 8 is a transition from Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth through Samaria. 
And they go preaching the gospel. They go preaching the gospel. So that's what this is about. I'm going to read all of these verses. So uh, kids, open your Bibles. I think it's good to follow along. It'd be helpful for you to pay attention. And so please do. Acts is towards the back of the Bible. Uh, if you hit Romans or the first second Corinthians, you've gone too far. So we're going to read Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 40. And so follow along with me. Now, <clears throat> those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go down to the south of the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to meet him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, teach us to love your word. You are our hiding place and shield, and we have no hope except in your word. May all evildoers depart from us that we may keep your commandments. Uphold us according to your promise that we may live, and let us not be put to shame in our hope. Hold us up. Keep us safe. We have regard for your statutes. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, but we love your testimonies. God, teach us to tremble for fear of you and to be afraid of your judgments, for you are the only and holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. So read in verse 4 again that because of the persecution that broke out on the, on the church after Stephen was uh, stoned, and this was at the hands, we see, of Saul, who is later Paul, that the church was scattered. That would be tragic, except this is what God intended. We shouldn't here think that the church is being disobedient to the Lord by remaining in Jerusalem, and that God had to bring persecution in order to scatter them. That isn't what we see here. Rather, this is God good means of how he often works. He uses what is wicked for his good purposes. And so they went all over the world, and they went preaching the gospel. Now, again, in Acts chapter 1-8, we see the structure of the book of Acts, that it would begin in Jerusalem and Judea, that they would be as witnesses first there, and that's what we see in the first seven chapters. And then they would go to Samaria, that's most of chapter 8, and to the very ends of the earth. And we see that at the end of chapter 8 when he preaches the gospel to an Ethiopian, a court official there. And so chapter 8 is something of a transition, going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel is the power of God to save all people. Now, in Samaria, in uh, verses 4 to 25, we see that they gave heed to the word. Now, we see miracles. Simon, or uh, uh, Philip is working miracles. Uh, in verse 7, unclean spirits come out, paralyzed and lame are healed. And so this is one of the things that we ought to connect in our brains. In verse 6, we see that they are paying attention because of the signs. Now this is a, con a consistent connection in the scripture, whether it's prophets in the Old Testament, apostles or others closely associated with them in the New Testament, that God gives miracles during unique times in order to verify that somebody is sent to preach his holy word. And so miracles, as you know, aren't even common in the Bible. But I think sometimes we as Christians feel like we should all be doing these things. Now, it could be that God would give you the ability to work miracles. But more often, specifically, miracles are connected with those apostles and prophets sent by God to preach his gospel. And so they're not common. 
And you are not a second-class citizen if you can't speak in tongues or provide healing. And it's not that you lack faith either often. It's just that God always closely associates the working of miracles with the verification of his apostles and prophets. And so don't believe the lie that this should be common for all believers, for everyone, and that it's because you're not a good enough Christian or that you lack faith that you aren't seeing these things. Somebody doesn't die because of your lack of faith. That's not the point of miracles often. The point is so that when God is establishing his word in the earth, especially around the, the affirmation of those he sent to preach and, and to write his holy word, that they might be verified uh, in the world's eyes by the working of his power. And so uh, take care there. Now they receive these with great joy. Then we see Simon. You'll notice in verse 9, after verse 8, there's much joy, but there's this man named Simon. We see that Simon believed, verse 13, but we see that his, his belief isn't the kind of belief that is saving. We'll talk about that more later, but just keep that in your mind. This man, Simon, is often known in history as Simon Magnus. His nickname is the father of all heretics. <laughs> he went on to great infamy after this. Simon Magnus, um, how many of you heard the word Gnostic before? Yeah, okay. So this was the founder of Gnosticism. This is the founder of that kind of sect, that cult that believed you had to attain some super spiritual knowledge in order to understand the things of God and that God only gave that to a few people and he's the foremost. Uh, that things of the earth and physical things are evil and all that is good is spiritual. That's Gnosticism and this is the founder of it. And so he wasn't a good deed. We also have, an, uh, uh, you've heard the term simony. We don't use that term much anymore. Simony, familiar with that term? No, it's a new one to you. You've heard it. Simony is where you purchase something that shouldn't be purchasable. You purchase a government office. Right? And so he is trying to purchase the ability to give the Holy Spirit to people. Why? Because he wanted power, he wanted fame, he was greedy. And so simony is given that name because this is where we see it. But Simon is no believer, but he's held up here as an example to us all of what not to do. But the gospel is going forward in Samaria. Many were believing, and so they sent Peter and John. And I think we, we ought to... To, to pause here a moment and glorify God. There's no turf war among the apostles. Isn't that sweet? There's, there's no turf war. Peter and John come. Philip obviously welcomes them. Uh, and um, they're partners in the gospel. Now what of this issue of these people are baptized... But in verse 16, they're only baptized in the name of Jesus. And then when Peter and John come, they lay their hands on them and they re receive the Holy Spirit. Again, we have to be very careful when we're reading Acts or any other kind of more narrative that we don't make what is just descriptive as proscriptive. What do I mean? This isn't telling you what should be always done among God's people. 
This is describing a very irregular, singular occurrence. It isn't saying that you need to have first this one baptism and then a second one. This is an uncommon occurrence early in the church to verify that the Samaritans were included in the kingdom of God in a very unique way. This isn't going to be repeated. There is no second baptism. When you re- the, the, the biblical witness is, when you truly receive Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Period. There may be, in your life, later times of greater awareness, greater filling, greater power, but that is no commentary on whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the moment we're born again in the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And again, we can't make here what they're describing, which is very irregular, singular, unique, and say that this should be the common, normal thing that always happens for all Christians. That's a a poor way to read this. That doesn't mean we shouldn't glory in God in this. It's incredible what's going on here. So the Samaritans received the gospel. The church is being built, not just of Jews, but now Samaritans. Peter rebukes the Simon character very strongly. It's something. They return to Jerusalem, and an angel comes to Philip and says, get down on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's desert. So the Spirit, an angel directs, the Holy Spirit directs, and uh, the Holy Spirit directs him to sidle up to an Ethiopian court official uh, who happens to be reading Isaiah. All right, this term Candace, a court official of Candace. Candace wasn't her name. Candace is a title like king or queen. She was the Candace of Ethiopia, the queen, the ruler, the president. A little aside, for those of you who are tempted to think that the ancient times were very patriarchal and harsh to women, I beg to differ. Uh, Ethiopia is the nation that we meet in Genesis 2, Cush. It's all of the land south of Egypt. Huge kingdom, very cultured, very advanced, and a woman's in charge. Does that help you? All right. Back to it. Uh, the, this court official was, you, you would think of him like the secretary of finance. He, he was a part of her court. He was higher up. I'll let your parents talk to you about eunuch. So make sure you ask them afterwards. Write it down, E-U-N-U-C-H. And uh, he was a God-fearer. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was likely black, being from that part of the world. And he was in Jerusalem 
because he had confessed faith in God, the God of the Jews. And so he was a a Greek-speaking man who had turned to the Jewish faith, and he was there to worship. And he's on his way home, and he has a copy of Isaiah, and he's reading it aloud. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good example for you to read God's Word? To give yourself to the reading of God's Word? He's also very humble. He's a great man. He's very wealthy. To have your own copy of the Bible was a sign of tremendous wealth. And yet he's humble. Isn't that odd to meet somebody who's very powerful in politics, very wealthy, and yet teachable? So he's reading out of Isaiah. He's asked the question, do you understand it? He admits his ignorance, very humble. And it is described to him that this is about Jesus, the Son of God. The gospel is explained to him through the scriptures. He believes, he he confesses that this Jesus is the Son of God. And he is baptized Simon, or Philip, excuse me, is whisked away by the Spirit. (laughs) Isn't this awesome? We have angels, we have healings, and then we have a man just deported somewhere else, transported. Why do you, you know, the, the, the Bible's full of wonder, it's full of miracles, it's full of, forgive the word, magic. This is why we enjoy reading things like Chronicles of Narnia and so on. Because the Bible is full of wonder, and this is wondrous. And he goes on his way rejoicing. Isn't that wonderful? So you see at the beginning, they receive in Samaria this word with great joy. And at the very end, he goes on his way rejoicing, contrasting the middle with this Simon who's full of bitterness and envy. So this text, though, is about the preaching of the good news of Jesus. Verse 4 sets the stage. They go where they go preaching the word. We see this term preaching or proclaiming all throughout verse 5, verse 12, verse 25, verse 35, verse 40. They are declaring Christ. Why? Because they love him. These early believers were full of love for their Lord who had washed away their sins and granted them access to the Father. And wherever they go, they're telling people about Jesus. So they're not ashamed of the gospel What is the gospel? I want you to pay attention to a few words in this text that describe for us what the gospel is. So give me your attention right now. There's nothing more important than about what you're to hear. What is the gospel? And do you have that straight? What is the gospel? Well, in verse 4, it is said that they went about preaching the word. And so in one sense, we can say in a a larger sense that the gospel is Scripture. At the very least, the only place that you can learn about the gospel is in the Word of God. You can't find it in nature. You can't go to some religious guru. It's not found within you. Right? You know that. You can't, like, just look within. You can't become one with yourself. You can't find it deep down in yourself. It's outside of you. It's found alone in Scripture. 
And so it is the singular gift of God to preserve, for inspire, and to preserve his word for us. For apart from his word, there is no eternal life. So if you have the Bible, you have a treasure. Because there alone are the words of life given to you by God in heaven. And so do you love God's word? So verse 4, they go preaching the word. There's a synonym for the gospel in verse 5. We see that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so when we're talking about the gospel, we are specifically talking about Christ. He is the Son of God sent to save us from our sins. In verse 37, the eunuch confesses that he believes that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in your Bible, you have verse 36, and it skips to 38, right? Do you see that? Verse 37. This is one of those few places where all of the copies of the originals, have some have verse 37 and some don't, and the earliest of those copies don't, and the later copies do, and so... It wasn't common for somebody copying the Bible to insert a little note in the margin or something to make plain uh, what was going on here. And he probably made plain the confession of the Ethiopian eunuch. And then when somebody copies a copy of that one with the note in the margin, maybe they just include it right in the text. And so there's a, a small discrepancy here. And what verse 37 says, and some, if you like are reading the New King James Bible or the King James Bible or maybe the New American Standard, you'll see it, that the Ethiopian eunuch confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. The point is that there is no salvation but by faith in Christ. And this is what they're preaching. It, it isn't at all... Um, coincidence that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53. He's reading verses 7 and 8. So quick turn, if you would, back to Isaiah. Isaiah is just past the halfway point in your Bible. We're going to look at Isaiah 53. So kids, this is a really good practice for you to learn your Bible and to open up. And so parents, I would encourage you to let them do that. Show them the table of contents. Maybe don't use your phone let, let them learn how to turn in the Bible. Sorry, Chris. Chris, you do have a Bible, right? It's on your phone? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Isaiah 53, uh, 7 and 8. He re- it reads, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears son, so he opened his mouth. By oppression and judging, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? That's the gospel. Jesus suffered in your place. He was a lamb that was slaughtered for our sins. He was punished and suffered hell so that you might have heaven. Isn't that wonderful? One of the things that can happen to you as a Christian is that that loses its wonder. 
that you become unfeeling towards this gospel. That you lose the joy of your salvation that God in heaven has forgiven you of all of your sins because Christ suffered in your place for them. Are you dull to that? Are you cold towards that? Don't be. Sin is our problem and that before a holy God and Christ alone reconciles us to God by the forgiveness of our sins. Isn't that wonderful? You have been forgiven of all of your sins in Christ. That's why the Samaritans had great joy. That's why the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because they had borne their sins and then they didn't. Because Christ did. So there's the gospel. There is the preaching of the good news of the gospel. And so kids, again, kids, kids, do you love Jesus? Do you see your need for God's Son sent from heaven to die in your place for your sins? Do you? Do you love him? Do you have faith in him? So they preached the gospel. They preached the good news of the gospel. And then we see how to receive in this text the good news of the gospel. So Simon's false faith. What do we do with that? What do we do with Simon, who we read in verse 13? Even Simon himself believed and was baptized, but then it becomes clear that he didn't. Let me read you something from Calvin. There are many people who, though they have not been born again with the spirit of adoption and do not dedicate themselves to God with the power of the word, still say that what is being taught is true and are touched with some fear of God so that they accept the teaching. They see that they must listen to God, that God is the author of life and the judge of the world. Therefore, they are not pretending that they believe. They honestly think that they believe. But this faith only lasts a while. You're familiar probably with the parable Jesus told of the different kinds of soil in in Mark 4. Where in some, they're so hard that the word never takes root. It's just gone. And then there's some who seem to receive it and they last a while or longer, but the deceitfulness of sin or the love of the world leaves there. There's there's no fruit. There's no true, genuine love. They're not really born again, though they confessed. The seed of the word, Calvin continues, the seed of the word is choked. It never ripens, but grows into a fruitless plant. That was Simon's sort of faith. He saw that the gospel teaching was true. His conscience made him accept it, but he lacked the groundwork. What was that? The denial of himself. Note that right there, please. Why? What, 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 what are we shown was Simon's motivation for belief? It wasn't that he saw his need of a savior. It, it, it wasn't that he humbled himself and wanted to deny himself. Why? 
Because he loved the fame. He loved the power. He loved the money. He saw the gospel teaching was true. His conscience made it accepted, but he lacked the, the repentance. Why? Denial of himself. He had deceived himself by his hypocrisy. And Simon is put here as an example for us. This is not true faith. This isn't faith of the saving kind. It doesn't endure because it loves the world. It loves things other than Christ for Christ himself. And so Simon is the negative. The positive is this Ethiopian eunuch. He is very teachable. There's a great humility in this man. How many of you are willing to admit when you don't know something? I'm a Vandergallian, and one of the things the Vandergallians are known, pretending that we know everything. We've got a bit of Cliff Clavin in us. Because it's so embarrassing to admit that you don't know something, and you don't have an answer to something. How many does that keep from heaven? We laugh at it, right? But isn't that just pride? And here's this very powerful, wealthy man. When asked the question, do you understand? His answer is, no, I don't. How can I unless somebody teaches me? Isn't that very humble? So how many of you growing up in a Christian home are so proud? You have all the answers. You know it all. But you just lack any teachability, lack any humility. And so the, the Ethiopian eunuch denies himself so that he might know the kingdom. He might know Christ. Then we know at the beginning in verse 8 and at the end in verse 39 that the way to receive is with joy. They delight themselves in the Lord. They are aware in the world of real sorrows. And so we don't want to go beyond the bounds of this talking about joy, that joy means we'll never have trouble, we'll never have sorrow. That isn't true. In this world, you have trouble. (laughs) The Psalms are filled with sorrows and laments. But we have joy in the Lord because he has taken away our sins. I want to, something I, I notice among us who live up here is that we like to work. You like to work. You find it hard to rest. And so Sundays are not a day of worship and rest for you, but another day of work. And as your pastor, I want to tell you, don't do that. Sunday is given you as a day of worship, of worship and rest, not of work. It should not be another day to get things done. And I, I want to connect that to the joy. Because <laughs> we are meant to have this day as a day of looking at Jesus and enjoying him. And if you're so concerned about the work you need to get done, getting ready for winter, getting whatever, Getting ready for school. Kids, you shouldn't be doing schoolwork on a Sunday. That's what Friday night and Saturday are for. 
Sunday is a day of the Lord and joy in him. I wonder if we don't have as much joy in the Lord as we ought because we don't take a rest and a worship on a Sunday. All right, so what about baptism? We, we, we do see a lot about baptism in this text. And I, I just want to point out a few simple things. First, we see that faith comes before being baptized. Faith and then baptism. We also see in the case of Simon that he is baptized, but he is not saved. And so baptism does not save. It is a gift of God. It is a way that God communicates grace to us. But it is not the ultimate way that God saves us. That is only through faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith in Jesus Christ, then the next thing we should do is be baptized. And so we don't ever want to say that baptism is arbitrary or unimportant or take it or leave it. Baptism is required for Christians. The Lord himself said that we are to be baptized. We see too with Philip and the Ethiopian that they immersed him when there was water. And so immersion will be normal, but throughout Christian history, if there's not enough water or if you happen to live in Siberia, or Rhinelander, and all of the water's frozen, you can use a hotel. (laughs) So baptism, though, the main thing here is it comes after faith. So if you have trusted in the Lord and you have not been baptized, then you should be baptized. But the main thing here is they have faith in Christ, and so they have joy because they have the Father. They've been welcomed into the kingdom of God. They have all of the great and many precious promises of God that are now theirs. They have all that is needed for life and godliness because they have Christ. They know that they will now be gathered with all of the departed saints from all time and all the angels for all eternity because God has saved them through Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The last thing we could do with this text is we could use it as a, as a mild, gentle appeal to be concerned for the lost. Now, the one thing I don't want you to think is that you're all going to be like Philip. We know that God gives different gifts to different people in the church. And one of those gifts is evangelism. Philip is an evangelist. In fact, we'll meet him again at the end, I believe it's Acts 24, and his nickname there is Philip the Evangelist. Very few of you will be evangelists in this sense. And you shouldn't feel like, I'm just not being a good Christian unless I'm doing what Philip's doing. And nor should you let anyone ever heap that guilt on you. Some of your gifts are hospitality, not evangelists. Some of your Gifts are accounting. Some of your gifts are whatever they are. But we do believe that the gospel is the power of God to save, don't we? 
And we do have people in our lives who are headed to hell, don't we? And so do we have a concern for them? We pray for them. Do we have compassion on them? And are we asking God for opportunity and courage and words to proclaim the gospel as we see throughout this text in the hopes that they too would be saved and know the joy of forgiveness of sins? Let's pray. Father, help us to feel the glory of your Son in his saving work on the cross and to know the joy of forgiveness of all of our sins before you, acceptance with you, being filled with the Spirit, of being given eternal life. Help us, help those here who do not yet have saving faith to set aside themselves, to humble themselves like this Ethiopian, though they may think themselves great, to see their need for Christ and to be taught in him. And God, may we have a greater concern for those who are perishing. Because we too once had somebody who told us. And so God, may you use us in this way and give us opportunities and faith to grab them. That you might be glorified and that more might rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. We just sung that God has washed our sins away by plunging us beneath his cleansing flood, and that is the blood of Christ. And so be happy in that. Take delight in that. Take joy in that. Rejoice in our God who has covered all of our sins. Rejoice in our God who gives generously without finding fault. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that death has been swallowed up in victory. May all thanks be given to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers, may God's Spirit make you steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.